And uh, I am a, the regional director for the Colorado Baptist Convention in southwestern Colorado. So I, uh, I get the pleasure of working with churches from Grand Junction to Pagosa Springs um, and some churches in little towns that many of you have probably never heard of. Uh, we've been, uh, my wife Tracy and I are here with you guys today. Um, I took this position in June of 2020. What year are we in now? Uh, June of 2022. Previously before that, I was the pastor at Nucla First Baptist Church. Uh, who knows where Nucla is? Okay, a few people. Good. Good. I won't explain it. Uh, my wife and I were there for 12 years. Uh, God blessed us to keep us there that long and and we had a we love that that little community and but it was time for us to move into a different season of life and and God opened up this door for us and and we get the opportunity and I think this is great we get the pleasure of going to churches across the southwest part of Colorado and worshiping and every church looks different and every song they sing is different and the structure of their service is different but we worship the same God and I love to be able to, to be in churches with, with different, with, with Christ's church and be able to share with people and just worship with people. And so, um, as I said, my wife Tracy is, is here with me today. We've been married uh, for almost 25 years. Uh, we have two children. We're not children anymore. They're adults. They're 21 and 23. They both live in Fort Worth, Texas currently. Uh, one of them is an over-the-road truck driver, and the other one is finishing his degree to be a history teacher. Um, at Dallas Baptist University right now. And so uh, God has just blessed us to be able to do some great things and, and be a part of some good things. And, and I'm going to share with you today, I'm actually going to be here a few times in the month of March to, to share with you. Well, we'll see. After today, we'll see. If, if you guys want me to come back, we'll, we'll check in and, and see if you want me to come back. Um, I'm going to apologize for a couple of things. One, I've been sick over the last couple of weeks, and so I don't know how my voice is going to hold up, and I might start coughing. It's fine. You'll just have to, while, while I cough, you can go back to meet and greet, and then I'll call you back when, uh, when the time's right. Um, and then I move, so I apologize if I get away from this microphone, um, and hopefully you'll still be able to hear me, uh, but I'm going to move around a little bit because I don't know that I can just stand in one place uh, very effectively. So I want to ask you, though, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28 is, is where we're going to be today, Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to read verses 19 and 20, but as we get started, I want you to think about this question. Why are we here? Why are we here? Now, a lot of times the, the, the Sunday school answer, that good Christian answer would be, hey, we came today to worship. We came to fellowship. We came to, to sing praises to God. But the real question that we have as, as followers of Christ and as his church is, why are we in this community? Why is First Baptist Church Bayfield, why did God put it here however many years ago that he placed this church here? What is our goal? What is our purpose? What is the mission of Christ's church? And I can tell you, it's not to have the biggest building in the community. It is not to have the greatest worship service. It's not to have the best programs or the biggest youth group or the biggest children's program. It's not to have the largest numbers or be able to report to our state convention that we had the most baptisms of anybody throughout the state of Colorado. 
every church that Christ has placed in a community and every person who has called on the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord has the same mission, has the same reason for being here. And Jesus gives us that mission in Matthew 28, starting in verse 19. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you this morning, I'm asking you, God, to speak. Speak truth into the lives of every person in this room today. Every person that hears my voice speak truth. God, move me out of the way and let your word penetrate our hearts today. Let your words change us. God, speak. As we pray today, as we come before you today, Jesus. Amen. These few verses that I just read is what we call the Great Commission. This is our purpose. This is why we are here. It doesn't matter if we're in Bayfield, if we're in Nucla, if we're in Yampa or Denver, Colorado Springs. It does not matter where we are. This is the reason that God put us where he has us. The Great Commission. So this is a Southern Baptist church by association. Southern Baptist Convention was founded 100 plus years ago. In 2010, the Southern Baptist Convention voted at an annual meeting to change its name to the Great Commission Baptists. Because we saw the necessity of this passage and what we do. The only reason that we didn't ever change, they never changed the name is because it cost too much money to rebrand. So if you go to an annual meeting or anything where the national leaders of the convention are, they will constantly refer to the Southern Baptist Convention as Great Commission Baptists. Because that's what we're about. This is our mission. This is our purpose. This is why God put us here. Yet in 2018, Barna Research Group did a study commission is half of the people according to that statistic sitting in this room today don't know the great commission maybe that doesn't act maybe that's not accurate for your church that would be great but in most places that statistic rings true and i believe it's because we have taken our focus off of what's important we have taken our focus off of what we have been called to do and we have put it onto building programs 
And making sure that, that everything that, that we do is, is perfect, not that it shouldn't be the best that it can be. But we've taken our focus and we've put it into making these great things and we've taken it off the Great Commission. And we think just because we have a great Sunday school program or we have great home groups or we have great uh, anything else that you can put on that list, that makes us a successful church. But it doesn't. Are we staying true to our mission as followers of Christ and as the church? And so Jesus tells us some things here that I want us to look at. Right? We've come through the crucifixion. Jesus has been risen from the dead. He spent 40 days right around there with his disciples. He spent that time teaching them all of those things that he maybe taught them previously, but then continued to teach more deeper, better truths of, of the scripture and what he wanted from them. And then, right before Jesus leaves them, he tells them this, what we've read today. Go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them and teaching them. And so I want to look at each of those today. The first thing Jesus says here is to go. Jesus has been given all authority all authority has been given to Jesus, and he tells his followers to go. We don't need permission from anybody else to go share the gospel with somebody. We don't need the Southern Baptist Convention or First Baptist Church Bayfield or the pastor or an elder or anybody else to say, as a follower of Christ, I need to tell people about Jesus. Jesus gave us that authority. We don't need anybody else. And so the first thing Jesus says is go. Go. Now there is some debate over what he meant by this. Some people will say that Jesus meant pack up everything that you have, leave the home that you've, that you've had for years, and go to a foreign land, someplace that I'm going to send you that you don't know anything about, because that's where I'm sending you to share the gospel. That's what we saw the disciples do. That's what we see many people do. That's what we send missionaries into, into hostile environments to share the gospel because of this mandate. And many people believe that's exactly what Jesus is saying. That's exactly what he's saying. But I, I, I think there's other things. Because I don't believe that everybody sitting in this room is being called to go to a foreign land. God brought you here. So you have one group who will say, it, it just means pack up everything, take your family, everything you know, and go somewhere else. There's another group who will say that what Jesus is saying here is, literally, go live your life for me, and while you are going, whatever that looks like for you, do the rest of this. Make disciples, baptize, teach. I believe that Jesus is talking about both things. I believe that for so many people, the directive is go somewhere else. You've been here long enough. I'm ready to send you to a different land where you can share the gospel, where you can be my witness, where you can make disciples, where you can teach. Tracy and I have been in, in ministry for around 20 years. And there are four times since we surrendered to God in the ministry that God has 
picked us up completely and moved us to a, to a new foreign location. Not foreign country, but location. Four times in 20 years. The first time was when he called me to go to seminary. I was driving a, a group of youth home after a, a lock-in. God very clearly said to me, go to seminary. I had made excuses for about 10 years not to go. And the final excuse I came up with was, you can't go to seminary if you don't have a college degree until you turn the age of 30. So at the age of 30, God said, hey, let's go. And so at the age of 30, with two small kids... My wife and I packed our family, everything we had known for a few years, and we moved across the state of Washington where we lived at the time so that I could attend seminary. We ne neither one of us had jobs. We didn't have any place to live. We had no idea what was going to happen, but we said, okay, God, this is what you want. We'll go. A few years later, God said, hey, Tracy was finishing up her college degree at Washington State University, and right after she graduated, I got a phone call from a friend that said, hey, you should put in for this youth pastor position at a church in Hillsboro, Oregon. All right. I could do that. So I put in my resume, and they called me to be the youth pastor of this church. So once again, we packed up our life. We moved not as far this time. It was actually only about 40 miles from where we lived in Washington to where he sent us in Oregon. And we spent two years there as the youth pastor in that church. And then, through a series of events, God said, hey, I'm sending you to Colorado. This is where we're from. This is our home state. He said, I'm sending you home. And then he said, I'm sending you to Nucla. <laughs> My wife grew up in Grand Junction. She didn't even know where Nucla was. <laughs> and we said, where's Nucla? We looked it up on a map. We're like, all right. So we moved in August of 2010. We loaded a U-Haul and we went from Hillsboro, Oregon, which is about 80,000 people, to Nucla, Colorado, 700 people. And the first night that we went out to the store at 8 o'clock and it was closed, we were like, what is happening? The bank is closed on Saturday. That's crazy. But God took us there. And then he kept us there for 12 years. And so we had this, these moments of pick it up, take everything you have, and go to this place I'm sending you. And then God left us in Nucla for 12 years to live life, to share the gospel, to teach, to do all of these things that, that he dictates for us to do. For 12 years, 12 great years. And then last year he said, pick it up and go. I'm sending you somewhere else. Into a new season in life. And we said, we don't want to, but we will. See, God takes us, and, and I believe when he tells us to go, the most important thing that we can take out of that, it doesn't matter if he's sending you overseas or if he's sending you to your neighbor's house. The important thing is that we're going to be obedient as followers of Christ and we're going to go. And we're not taking the message of 
some special group or we're not taking the message of just First Baptist Church Bayfield or whatever town you're in. We're taking the gospel message to the people. As we go, as we live life, we have to move as followers of Christ from I come to church on Sunday morning and I give my tithes and I work, I volunteer for the church. We need to get to a place where, yeah, we do all those things, but we also live the rest of the week for Jesus. In our jobs, in our kids' schools, when we're recreating with other people, we are living for Christ. This idea of going, no matter where it is, should penetrate every pocket of our life so that every time we go somewhere, we're asking ourselves the question, all right, Jesus, what do you want me to do here? Maybe I'm only here for 30 minutes. What do you want me to do? Who is it that you're trying to connect me with? Who is it that you want me to talk to to start a conversation And then we need to be obedient when God says, I want you to go somewhere else. I want you to step out of your comfort zone, step out of your box and go someplace different. That we're willing to say, yes, we will go. And as a church family in this community, you need to be able to say, okay, God, what are you calling us to go to? Let's be that church. God, Jesus says, go. Go into all the world. As we go then, Jesus gives us directive. As we're going, no matter where that is, Jesus says, first, make disciples. Here we are with another command from Jesus. Jesus. As to what we are supposed to be doing. Yet it's another command that we in our modern age have changed or adapted to mean something different. We have taken make disciples and we've said here's the best way to make disciples. Let our pastors do it. Here's the best way to make disciples. Let our Sunday school teachers do it. Or even better, there's some great media out there. Let's let the video player do it. Let's let services, not that there's anything wrong with these, let's let services like right now media disciple our people. But that's not the directive. It's for you to disciple. It's for you to go tell people about Jesus. You, as you go, making disciples. And making disciples starts with telling people about Jesus. Making disciples is, is about people becoming lifelong learners of Jesus. <coughs> Jesus does not say to us, go make converts to Christianity. This is not something where we're just supposed to go raise our numbers. 
It's not a, a, a place for us to go, hey, you know, the, the first question that anybody asks a pastor when they meet with him, if, especially when you get other pastors together, is how many you run on Sunday? Because the more people you have in, in, in seats in your church, the better your church is. That's the mindset. What Jesus is saying is, I don't care how many people sit in your church on Sunday morning. Are you telling them about me? Not from the pulpit. Maybe your pastor is doing a great job of preaching the word. That's great. Are you telling people about Jesus tomorrow? On Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, are we telling people about Jesus? Because I know most of our conversations rotate around other things. But guess what? The fact that the Brooklyn Nets came back from 28 points down the other night to beat somebody in a basketball game does not save anybody. It doesn't. Are we taking seriously our call to be disciple makers? To tell people how they can be saved? And there's only one way. Through Jesus Christ. Are we telling people? <clears throat> As we make disciples, we have to be telling people about Jesus. We have to see people accept Christ as their Savior. And then we move into the kind of the meat, the depth of disciple making, which is turning them into lifelong learners and followers of Jesus. Let me give you an example from the secular world of disciple making. The philosopher Plato developed a system of thought that is called Platonic philosophy. Aristotle then built on Plato's teaching and developed his own system known as Aristotelian logic. Aristotle then established schools. The people came to schools, they called them academies, and they were trained to be disciples of Aristotle. This is a Greek discipleship system that was effective because after the Roman government conquered Greece, they could not change the minds of the Greece people. So you had high-functioning Greek disciples of Aristotle working in all levels of the society. So Rome had the rule of law, but the Greek people stayed obedient to Aristotle. That's what Jesus is talking about. Even in a hostile world, if we are disciples of Jesus, we can withstand. Because our thoughts are on Christ and nothing else. It doesn't matter what our government decides to do. It doesn't matter what laws are passed. It doesn't matter what politicians do. It doesn't matter what someone else tries to do. If our mind is set on Christ and Christ alone, we cannot be changed. That's what Jesus desires of us. <laughs> that is what being a disciple of Jesus is all about. That's how you can sit in a world 
that is contrary to Christianity and feel peace. Because this is not our home. We're only passing through. And if we, followers of Christ, would be discipled and be disciples and have every thought on Jesus and have followers of Christ working successfully in every level of society, things would be a lot different. But we've made making disciples about coming to church on Sunday. When really we should be making lifelong learners and followers of Jesus. And we take all of these things, our church, our home groups, our our small group studies, everything we do, we bring them all together with us individually going out and we make disciples. Jesus then moves into the third directive, which is to baptize. He says, go make disciples and baptize them. The first thing that anyone is supposed to do after accepting Christ as their Savior is follow him in baptism. Baptize them. Every place in the scripture when somebody asks, what must I do to be saved? The response is believe and be baptized. Believe and be baptized. You've accepted Christ as your Savior, now be baptized. Because I don't believe we can fully surrender our lives to Christ until we're baptized. We can't serve him effectively the way that we're supposed to because we didn't follow that first rule. That first command. So Jesus says, make disciples, then baptize them. Now let me be clear, baptism is not about salvation. You can accept Christ as your Savior and be saved and never be baptized. But that's not what Jesus says to do. And if we want to effectively minister to the people around us, we need to follow Jesus in baptism and take this command seriously. It is part of the Great Commission. And so if we read this passage up to this point, if we were just to, to put it in, in a more modern thing, what we would be saying is, go into the life that you were living, tell people about Jesus, share the gospel with them, see people saved, baptize them, and then after they're baptized, we move into that meat of discipleship. Which is the fourth thing Jesus commands us to do. Teach them. This is where growth happens. This is where maturity comes. This is where the rubber meets the road for us as a church. And for us as followers of Christ. Jesus says teach them everything I commanded you. Teach them everything. The disciples were to go, make disciples, baptize, and then teach. And all of those things that Jesus taught, we have at our fingertips. Now, we're all sure there are things that Jesus said that aren't written down here. But this is what Jesus wants us to teach. The fullness of the gospel, Genesis to Revelation, teach them Everything that Jesus commanded, not just the pieces that I like, not just the pieces that make me happy, not just the pieces that I agree with. Teach the hard things. Teach the things that I don't like. Teach the things that make me uncomfortable because it's what Jesus taught. There's a story that Martin Luther didn't like the book of James. 
because it doesn't have the name of Jesus in it. This is the way the story goes. So Martin Luther tore the book of James out of his Bible. There's probably something in this Bible that you don't like. There's probably something that you go, I don't agree with that. You go, I don't understand that. I don't know if I can grasp that. I don't want to tell somebody else that. But that's what we're supposed to do. It's easy to tell people the, the, the comforting stories from scriptures to make them feel better, to make them feel like, you know, things are great. But are we teaching the fullness of the scripture? That's what Jesus says to do. Teach them everything. Teach them everything. And that's what we're called to do. This is not about a sermon on a Sunday morning. And hoping that a pastor will, will get through every verse of the scripture. It takes more than 30 or 40 minutes to, in a, week long, a weekly teaching. As we go and we make disciples and they are baptized and we begin to teach them. We have to pour our life into them. We have to give up of our own time because it's not our time, it's Christ's. We have to show them how important it is to teach what Jesus commanded. To live what Jesus commanded. This is every day in everything we do, teaching people what Jesus commanded by the way we live, by the things we say, by the way we treat people, by the way we confess our sins and repent and seek restoration. Teach them. We as followers of Christ, <clears throat> who have been given full authority by Jesus, are commanded to teach the full counsel of God to those who are becoming disciples. This also means we who have accepted Christ need to be disciples of Jesus, constantly growing, constantly learning. Something new, something fresh. Listening to other people because we don't know everything. So we spend our life growing. Jesus ends this passage with a word of encouragement. To a group of men who were scared of being thrown in prison. If you think about these disciples... Jesus is getting ready to send them back to Jerusalem where he's just been crucified. And they're afraid that they're going to have the same fate as Jesus. So they're scared. They're not sure what's going on. They don't understand what's happening. And so Jesus gives them this word of encouragement. These men who knew that they weren't qualified to do what God was asking them to do. He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always to the end of the age. It is only because Jesus was with them that the disciples took the gospel to the nations as they knew it. 
It was only because Jesus was with them that the gospel spread as far as it did. It's only because Jesus was with them that they started all of the churches that they started. It's only because of the promise of the presence of Jesus that you and I can do what we are called to do. To be obedient, to make disciples, to go. And it doesn't matter (coughs) how educated we are. Nothing against people who have multiple degrees. But I know some pastors with multiple doctorates. That has no bearing on being sent by Jesus. You who are sitting in these seats have been sent by Jesus to Bayfield, Colorado. Will you go? Yeah, you're scared. But Jesus is with you. None of us are qualified to do what God has called us to do. Not one of us. Yet because of the presence of Jesus, we are able to. It is only because of his presence that we can be successful. Jesus is asking something of you today. Whether you've realized it yet or not, every person in this room, Jesus is asking something. Will you follow it? Will you be obedient in it? Yeah, you may be scared. You may be terrified. You may not know what's going to come. How are we ever going to do this? But he didn't leave you alone. His presence is with you. It's the only reason that we still exist. First Baptist Church Bayfield, what is God calling you to in this season? Things are changing. Almost daily, things are changing. And you may be scared. And you may be angry. And you may be hurt. And you may not understand what is going on. But Jesus is with you. Jesus is with you until the end. That's what we need to hold on to. That's what needs to keep us going. That's how we stay on mission for Christ. Because Jesus gave us the authority to be here. And he is with us to fulfill the great commission in this area. We have to decide if we'll be with Jesus in it. Or if we'll let dissension and factions and backbiting and gossip and slander and all of these other things that the scripture teaches against. Will we let them divide us as followers of Christ? Or will we say, no, not today, Satan. Jesus gave us the authority to be here and nobody's going to take it away. And he will be with us until he removes us from this place. Will we follow the mission? Above everything else. Because the reality is. That's the only thing that matters. It doesn't matter what the name on the building is. Because quite honestly. This church could close tomorrow. And a new church could step into its place. 
It doesn't matter if we're part of the Southern Baptist Convention. It doesn't matter if you're part of the Colorado Baptist or Mesa Verde Association. It doesn't matter if you hold to one style of teaching over another. Are we going to stay focused on the mission? And let secondary things be secondary things. Or are we going to let things that don't matter divide us as Christ's church? I want to say to you, let's stay focused on the mission. Let's go and make disciples. Let's baptize them and teach them everything that Christ commanded. And know this, you are not alone. Because not only is Christ with, with, with you, which is the only person we need, <clears throat> you have 21 other churches in this exact area who are with you, who are praying for you. You have 300, almost 400 churches in the state of Colorado who are praying for you. You have 47,000 churches in the Southern Baptist Convention who are praying for you to be on mission for Christ in Bayfield, Colorado. Let's stay on mission. Let's stay focused. And let's be who Christ called us to be in this season for this community. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you this morning, you put us here. And your presence is with us. You are guiding us. You are leading us. We are not qualified. We are scared. We are frustrated. We are unsure of what's going to happen next. But God, we know that you are in control. And the only thing that we need to focus on is your mission. that we can be 